Thank you, Pastor Carter. I love and appreciate you, and thank you for what you're doing to extend our global and local footprint. Um, we are going to, as we did a couple of weeks ago, we're going to bring God's Word first in a message and then use our worship, our sing, sung worship time to respond. We're going to sing some great Hunger for God songs and, and everything. And there's another design to our madness today, and that is uh, as soon as I'm done this sermon, I've got to run to the airport because I'm heading for India, and I just want to ask your prayer. I'll just be in India for three days. I'll be speaking at and uh, consulting at, a, at the Global Live Dead uh, conference there with global leaders from around the world, and, um, and uh, that's with Assemblies of God World Missions. So I appreciate your prayer. Got a long way to go. like to come back, not, not anything else but in one piece. Hallelujah. So thank you. You get my drift. So it's great. I, I see my good friend Stephanie Peterson here, Pastor Stephanie uh, Kyle, pastor at, uh, at Winona State University, where I did my first two years of college in pre-engineering, and I go there every year now. They've seen a thousand people come to Christ over the last dozen years, and good to see you, Stephanie. Also see one of our board members here, um, and Todd Myers. Todd, will you stand uh, for us? Todd received a great honor from the governor this week. He was appointed uh, to a full judgeship with the Circuit Court of Green County. We're so proud of you. God bless you. Now would all of you stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Uh, I'm finishing a short series on hardship, hardship and faith. Hardship's a language every one of us understand. Uh, and, and faith, I hope, is a growing reality in all of our lives, not necessarily to exempt us from hardship, but to shape us. And in this post-pandemic world, I think we understand loneliness more than we ever have before. And even statistics just before the pandemic hit indicated that, especially among millennials, loneliness had skyrocketed, that somehow the social media generation has uh, experienced loneliness in ways our culture has never seen before. And it, 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 is, it is an issue that every one of us uh, struggle with, including the Apostle Paul. So would you uh, follow along as I read? I'm going to read the section that we're going to be studying uh, in its totality. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 4. And these are some of the last words that we have from the Apostle Paul. Of all the scriptures he wrote in the New Testament, uh, we're within a paragraph or two of the last things that are recorded from the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, who at this point is in Ephesus on assignment from Paul. And Paul's in a prison in Rome. In verse 9, he says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. If you're a Star Wars fan, you would say Demas was seduced by the dark side. <laughs> Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke's with me. So get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. And I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, where Timothy is at that moment. And when you come, Timothy, will you bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. Then we have Alexander. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him 
for what he has done. My paraphrase of that verse is God's going to get him. (laughs) You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And then verse 16, if this wasn't enough. At my first defense, this would have been his preliminary trial in Rome. At my first defense, no one came to my support. But everybody deserted me. May it not be held against them. That's a little more gracious than God's going to get them, but may it not be held against them. So sometimes we say amen, sometimes we say ouch. This is a very painful paragraph. Look at it a little bit, but would you just uh, join me in prayer for a moment? Lord, we bring our hearts to you. We bring some names and faces that are going to come to mind as we look at Paul's relational experiences and his loneliness. My God, I pray out of it we'll meet you. Out of it we'll drill deep into your heart, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to list four words that for some of you are review, um, but four words. They're painful words. They're all part of why we're sometimes lonely. And, and uh, I, I think there's going to be some names you could write beside at least, at least one or two of these words, maybe three, maybe all of them. And so that's why I wanted to start with a little prayer. It, it, gets, it gets painful looking at some of these subjects, but Paul starts with that wonderfully bad word, rejection. Rejection. That's where we started, verse 9. We're wired for acceptance. That's part of what makes, that's part of what makes um, you know, peer pressure so strong. I mean, I mean we, we really want to be accepted by our tribe, by, by our peers, by our friends. And we hate rejection, yet some of us are so, you know, are just wired with a rejection mentality. Like we self-destruct relationships because in the end somehow we have to end up rejected. And others of us, for fear of rejection, we'll go to extremes we shouldn't go to avoid it. It's rejection. Here's Paul's experience with rejection. After saying to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly, then he explains why he'd say quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Now, you'll actually find Demas in other books of the Bible in the New Testament because Demas was a part of Paul's traveling team. He was a part of Paul's ministry team. And, and, and he was one of the faithful guys. He was in the inner circle right there with Timothy and some others. And, and he said, Demas, I mean, his faith ended up deconstructing and he deconverted. He, I mean, something about the pull of the world and, and both its pleasures and its safety compared to what we're doing just, just seduced him and drew him back into the world. And he uses the word deserted. He's deserted me. If you've had a child who you raised around Christian values and around things that you hold so sacred in your own heart, and then they become an adult and they turn their back on it and they go the other way and they sort of renounce everything that you as a family held sacred and valuable, you know a little of that that pain, rejection. And the second thing he talks about is isolation. He kind of infers isolation. 
in the next verse, verse 13, or a couple of verses later. When you come, in verse 13, bring the cloak. So he started by saying, Timothy, I need you to come. Timothy had been Ephesus, in Ephesus for two or three years on assignment from Paul to represent Paul in that church because there was a lot of problematic things happening in that church. And so he was sort of Paul's representative. Now he's saying, Demas has deserted me. He's rejected everything we hold dear. And so, Timothy, I need you to come. And when you come, will you bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchment? And this, this reminds us that Paul was in isolation right now. Isolation. He was in prison. It seemed like he had gotten out of prison after Acts 28, the end of the book of Acts, where he's under house arrest. Now, it's a few years later, and he's back in prison. And this time, he's probably in the, fam- the infamous Mamertine prison in Rome. Incredibly difficult, harsh conditions. And a few verses later, we find out that winter is approaching. And so, it's, he's probably half-starving in this pr- prison, plus to be starving and to be cold at the same time are terrible experiences. And, and so he's, he said, will you bring my cloak and, and my scrolls? I mean, he was not listening to the screams of, of prisoners being tortured. I mean, I mean, he had nothing to occupy in his mind. And he talks about the parchment. So some of these may be the scripture. He just wanted to read God's word. Or he needed something for his mind. Uh, and, and, and it could have been, the parchments may have included some legal documents. And, and he would need them in his trial. So, Timothy, would you bring these? You put all that together, and you realize that Paul's isolated. He doesn't have access to reading material. He doesn't have access to enough clothes to keep him warm. He is isolated. He is in prison. And we all understood isolation, right, during the COVID time. And it just, it, it just magnified uh, loneliness. I mean, we have... We have, a, we have hundreds of people watching on live stream right now, you know, and, and for some, it's, it's, it's been, you know, for some for very understandable reasons, it's been two and a half years since you've been able to hit, sit in a service like this and just be with people, and the loneliness just gets deep and aching, although you feel like you can't change the situations of your isolation because of health or your working schedule or whatever it is. I mean, to be isolated, to be alone, we all got a taste of that the last couple of years. And then betrayal, betrayal. It was not rejection. It was not isolation. Uh, Deepening Paul's loneliness that that makes him say to Timothy, come quickly. I just need you here. It's betrayal. And so in verse 14, the next verse, he says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. We don't know which Alexander there is. There's a few in, in, in the history of the New Testament in the Bible, but Alexander was a pretty common name. We're not sure who this was. He was a metal worker. Possibly he was an idol. He made idols. And when Paul would preach the gospel and people would come to Christ, they'd renounce their idols. They'd put guys like this out of business. We don't know. But here, here he was, Alexander the metal worker. And he said, Alexander did me a great deal of harm. I mean, Paul's in the middle of it, so why not just keep going, right? (laughs) He's just kind of being really disclosing of his heart. He knows this is probably the last time he'll write his dear friend Timothy. And he's already talked, you know, we're made for acceptance. 
But so rejection hurts deeply, and he experiences with demons. And we need intimacy, and, and isolation keeps us from human intimacy. And, and we also need people who are loyal. We want friends who are loyal to us. And betrayal is the opposite of loyalty. It's, in fact, turning around and stabbing you in the back. And so Alexander, the metal worker, did a great deal of harm. The little Greek that Paul's writing in says, he did me much evil. He's not specific beyond that, but many scholars believe that when Paul was rearrested and now ends up in prison again in Rome, that, that it, was, it was Alexander that had betrayed him and turned him in. And so he says, he's, uh, the Lord will repay him for what he's done. God's going to get him. But you too, you too, Timothy, should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. He stabbed me in the back. He opposed our message. He probably faked it at first. If he wasn't an idol worker, uh, maker, he might have faked it at first, but he ended up stabbing me in the back. He betrayed me, and I'm in prison again. And then abandonment, the fourth word, abandonment. Now, maybe you've been writing some, thinking of some names. When we talked about rejection or we talked about being betrayed, um, and, and maybe you've been abandoned. You know, people will tell me, I started going through a really hard time in my life and I really found out who my friends were. And I hesitate saying that because it's kind of a cliche, but sometimes you really find out. It's amazing how many of your friends disappear, to be honest, when you start going through a really hard time. On the other hand, it's kind of interesting who is really there for you that you wouldn't have expected. But abandonment. And look what Paul says next while he's at it. At my first defense, verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support. But everybody deserted me. So this would have been his preliminary trial in Rome. If you were having a preliminary trial, um, if people had the courage, they could be willing to be your witness. Or at least your friends could maybe sit in the gallery and watch. He said, I walked in to my preliminary trial. Boy, was that a scary moment. I felt so vulnerable. And he says, at my first defense, I walked in there, I looked around, and nobody was there to support me. I mean, we know there's a church in Rome, right? Paul had already written a letter called the Romans, the letter of the Romans in the New Testament. He said, nobody from church even showed up to support me. Nobody came. And you can feel it deep inside Paul. I mean, Paul had spent his life, what a price he paid after the moment he found Jesus. Spent his life planting churches, giving everything, paying the price of persecution over and over. And now he's towards the end of his life. If anybody deserted, deserved somebody to be there for him, it was Paul. And I wonder if it just kind of all came crashing back on him. Look, I've, look, look at what I've done. I've built churches. I've, I, I've gone the second mile. I've done everything I can to honor Jesus and to love Christ's church. But I got to my preliminary trial and nobody from the church was there. Nobody came to my support. They all deserted me. They abandoned me at the very moment I needed them to be there. So the question comes to us, I mean, how, how, how did, 
You put rejection and isolation and betrayal and abandonment together. I mean, how did Paul cope with this stuff? I mean, how, how did he cope with that kind of loneliness? Well, when it comes to coping, as you know, there are some good ways and some not so good ways to cope, right? And there's some very self-destructive ways you can cope. Through the pandemic, people coped with uh, loneliness in part by turning, turning to alcohol and drugs. I mean, the sales of alcohol absolutely spiked during the pandemic and the lockdowns. And they, but you, you, turn, you try to salve your loneliness with alcohol and drugs or sexual ex escapades to find intimacy somewhere or, or, or all the other self-destructive things you do. You end up in a ditch. You're emptier and lonelier than you ever start. It's not the way to do it. Other people have, you know, they just find creative ways. I, I don't know if they're good or bad. But, but all of us find ways to cope. Like, like, like this one couple where the husband had this huge temper. And he was always often blowing up at his wife. And his wife, she was a little different temperament, and she'd just stay cool. So on a regular basis, he'd just blow up at her and yell at her, and she'd just, she'd just kind of take it, and she'd just be quiet. And so one day, even that got to him. And he, he was just so angry that she stayed so cool that he was just blowing up. How can you stay so cool? What is wrong with you? And she said, she said well, whenever you get really angry with me, I just go clean the toilets. That's how I cope. And he goes, what? Like, how does cleaning the toilets help you cope with my anger? And she said, oh, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> See, this works. Don't try that at home, by the way. <laughs> but I love the healthy ways in which we can cope with loneliness. You know, loneliness, you can't just rebuke it. You can find the heart of Jesus, though. And there's a pathway there. But, but here's where Paul started. He, he, valued the trust, he, he valued the trusted friends that he still had. Sometimes our pain, when we're really rejected, it makes us want to pull back. Sometimes we don't even want to risk this anymore. But, but he, he valued the trusted friends that he still had. That's why he'd say to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Please, Timothy, come up. Demas has just rejected everything we stood for. But, but I, I just need you to come quickly. So he still reaches out to Timothy. Is there any guarantee that Timothy wouldn't do the same thing Demas did? No. In fact, that might be part of why he wrote this second letter to Timothy. There's no guarantee. But he still was risking relationship. He was still reaching out. He said, Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. And, and these were Paul's ministry partners that he sent on assignment in the mission into these parts of the world. And, and he's not shutting down the mission just because, just because he's been really hurt by people he should have been able to trust. And, and he said, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Now, this is where Timothy had been. So Tychicus is going to spell Timothy off so Timothy can come to see Paul in Rome. And Tychicus had hand-delivered the letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians that we find in our New Testament. He also is a trusted partner of, of Paul, in other words. In other words, there are people that Paul had been trusting, and he didn't let his pain start to push them away. But he, 
he valued, he continued to value these trusted friendships that he had. And if you're really lonely, I mean, there may be people kind of like to Timothy, hey, come close. You, you may need, to, Timothy, come, please, quickly. You, I just encourage you, if you're lonely, I don't know how else to do this. You know, here's another cliche for you, but, and I hesitated to use it today, but, you know, to be a friend, to have a friend, you have to be a friend, right? The problem with that is I've had people say to me, you know, I've tried to reach out. I've taken people out to lunch. I've invited them to the ball game with me. I've had them over for dinner. The problem is, Pastor, nobody ever reciprocates. It's like I keep trying. And nobody, nobody invites me back. <laughs> nobody take, asks me to go to the game. I mean, I, I try to reach out to them. We seem to have a pretty good time. Then I never hear from them again. And, and the loneliness can just feel deeper. You can feel pretty rejected. But I, just let me encourage you. Keep, keep doing the come to me thing. Don't give up. You need friends. And, and I just believe that if you can combine the come to me, the reaching out, don't stop asking people out for lunch. You know, I just believe there are people that God's going to bring along. If you make it a matter of faith and prayer, and if you don't give up, God, God has partners for you. God has people who can become good friends to you. And, and don't, don't give up on this. Keep valuing, keep believing that trust in friendships can exist. And if you have them, don't punish your good friends for the pain that some other people have, have caused you. Then, not only did Paul, we're talking about how he coped with this loneliness. Not only did he value the trusted friends he, had, he still had, but he was willing to give those who let him down a second chance. He was willing, for those who had let him down, he was willing to give them a second chance. And uh, that's why verse 11 amazes me so much. He says, right in the middle of, okay, here's who betrayed me, and don't forget, I'm pretty isolated in prison, and he's gonna about to talk about Alexander who stabbed him in the back. Right in the middle, verse 11, he says, only Luke's with me right now. So get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Well, there's some history. In fact, in our friendship series a few weeks ago, I talked about how Paul and Barnabas had taken Mark with them on their first missionary journey. This had been a few years earlier. And how, how Mark actually deserted them halfway through. So they come to the second missionary journey, said Paul, and there's Barnabas saying, Paul, let's give Mark a second chance here. Let's, let's, let's see if it works this second time. And, and, and Paul's going like, no way, Barnabas. We can't afford dead weight. I mean, he deserted us. He's done. So they literally part ways. It's a, another very painful passage. But it turns out Barnabas continued to make an investment in Mark, and Mark came full circle. And now... And now, right in the middle of a paragraph where Paul is rehearsing all of this deep pain of being, be, being rejected and being isolated and being betrayed and being abandoned, right in the middle, he talks about the guy who would most bring up those past feelings of rejection and betrayal, and it's Mark. And right in the middle of all this other pain, he says, and, and Mark, Timothy, when you come, could you bring Mark with you? Yeah, I got a lot of bad memories about what Mark did to us. 
but I'm willing, but, but, but I know that he's come around. And God's worked redemptively in his life. And he's actually helpful in my ministry right now. And so will you bring him? And I love this. You don't know how God might be working redemptively in the hearts of people who have hurt you. God's writing a story in your life as you work through that pain. But he's also, he's also trying to work redemptively in those that we would just write off. I mean, there are moments where in our honesty we've got to do what Paul did. Oh, God's going to get him, you know. But, but there just needs to be this sense that, you know, God's going to come through here. In fact, verse 16 at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everybody deserted me. And there he says, may it not be held against them. So there's this sense that, that Paul was willing to give those who let him down a second chance. And I want to really challenge you with that this morning. Maybe the choice to forgive. It may be risking a relationship again. Now, when I when I transferred from Winona State where Pastor Stephanie serves a great student ministry. Um, I went to the University of Minnesota, spent another seven years leading, uh, studying engineering, and I started leading a small, some of the God college ministry, Chi Alpha, and as a student, we had a breakthrough when I was in graduate school, then I became a full-time pastor. I've told parts of this story to some of you in past years, but uh, there, there was a guy who emerged Right about the time, I was just living by faith. I was making almost nothing. I'd given up a career in engineering. I had a PhD. I'd given it all up. I was trying my best. And we had him. I was overseeing this student ministry, about 120. We'd just become a church. And this guy started attending. He was bigger than me, which may be why I even listened to him in the first place. But he said, Pastor Jim, he said, uh, he said people here seem to like you. It was just one of his first weeks there. And he said, I'm going to start attending this church because it seems like people really like you here. But I feel God's called me to correct you. This is my calling. So I've told some of that story before. He'd take me out to coffee and he'd, um, two hours, he'd just ring me out. Right beside the University of Minnesota, right on the outskirts is Bethlehem Baptist Church where the famous John Piper was the pastor. I mean, he was right in the same area where I was. And I have no trouble with John Piper's way better than I am. But to be constantly reminded of that, to have it always pointed out that I needed to change in ways that it felt impossible for me to change. And then there was another guy he really liked to pastor in, in, a, in a ministry on the University of Minnesota campus for a while, just exploded and then some things went sideways and that ministry ended up going under. But when it had just exploded, he would compare me to him and like, why can't you be like that? And I'll tell you, he, he, he deeply, deeply hurt me. I mean, he was one of the guys that drove me that close about a year after finishing college, university that made me think I made a huge mistake. I made a huge mistake going into a pastoral role as opposed to working for NASA. And uh, he'd also make me pay for coffee after he <laughs> would tear me down. This just is not, it's a fallen world. Life's not right. I'd pay the bill and it would just hurt even deeper. I mean, I'm not, 
I make fun of it, but I got, I got, he really hurt me very badly. And then he disappeared from the church. I couldn't figure out why he, he thought I was such a loser as a pastor, but this is the church he ought to attend. But he eventually disappeared. Finally, during a worship service, I was sitting in the front row at, at our university church. We'd about doubled in size. And, and it was two years later, and I felt something just like spiritual warfare. Just I was sitting in the front row. And sure enough, I get up, and he's taller than everybody else, and people are standing at the end of worship. I was going to lead in prayer. I look over there, and there he is. Hadn't seen him in two years. It's like a shock went through me. And so I did the pastoral thing and avoided him at the end of the service. I did not talk to him. <laughs> we have ways. In fact, right at the end of this sermon, I'm getting late here. I've got to run to the airport. Um, so uh, I'm not avoiding any of you, but just for the record, I'm about to miss a plane if I don't shut this down very quickly. And so I avoided him, but my phone rang the next day. Sure enough, he came. But he was kind of a different person and kind of very broken. He needed a pastor. And the long of it is I ended up kneeling down beside him in my office, my arm around him and praying for him. And he never asked my forgiveness. He had no clue. And I was sitting there thinking, he should at least do that. He was just broken. And he started coming to the church again, but he was like a different person. His attitude was wonderful. You know, God, I mean, I wonder if God might not be working redemptively in some of the people who really hurt us. And I felt like I crossed an important pivot point. If, that, if I'd given in to that toxicity of just carrying that hurt, and it feels so good to carry it, but it becomes toxic to your soul. It corrodes you from the inside out. And I just, I somehow later felt like I passed an important test by God's grace. Like I had to learn to let go of this stuff. And to believe God could still work redemptively. So just a few years ago, he befriended me on Facebook. I hadn't talked to him in 25 years. And he said, Pastor Jim, remember that university church we had? I've never found a better church since than what we had together. And I read that and I, I thought to myself, you turkey. <laughs> what, you put me through thinking I was such a loser? But who knows what God's doing, right? So Paul valued the trusted friendships that he still had. And, and, and he was willing to let those who let him down, maybe even give a second chance. Maybe you just need to give some people a second chance. But here's the best one. He ultimately trusted God's friendship. He ultimately trusted God's friendship over human loyalty. In fact, he raises the question for us, is it even possible for a Christian to be alone? And the answer is no. Because after saying, at my last hearing, I looked around and nobody from the church showed up. They all let me down. I was there all alone at the critical moment of my life. After all I've accomplished, here I am, all alone about to have the death sentence pronounced over my life. But, he said, verse 17, but the Lord stood at my side and he gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. The Lord, I love that sentence. I don't know, I kind of referred to this briefly a few uh, a couple of months ago in a message, but I just can't get away from it. The Lord stood at my side. Yeah. 
You know, and he's not standing on a promise here. Like, I'm trusting God that when I go into that trial, no matter who's there or who's not there, the Lord's going to be there. He's not like claiming a promise here. He's looking back. And he's saying, I walked in. I still remember how deflating it was to look around and nobody was there to support me. But you know what he said? On the other hand, I had this strange sense that I wasn't alone. Like Jesus was right there beside me. The church let me down. My Christian friends let me down. My ministry partners let me down. But Jesus was right there standing beside me. And he gave me strength. And he gave me strength. I, I, I remember back times, not, not just the one I described, but other times. I've had a number of times people pretty deeply hurt me. And, or I've been pretty disappointed. They didn't come through like I hoped. But I, I especially found, especially when I've experienced rejection and things, I, I go back and, and like the pain no longer controls me. He does heal I sort of recall the pain, but it doesn't control me anymore. I don't think he, that's freedom, you know, where, you know, it's not like he erases your memory necessarily. You can remember you got hurt, but that, that pain isn't a controlling thing anymore. But the other thing I often remember, um, trying to learn these relational things, you know, growing up, I, I just remember times of some of my deepest intimacy with Jesus. I remember really being rejected by somebody at one point. And I was just pacing in my office. And I was just going after God's heart. And I was just praying and saying, God, you're everything to me. You're all I have. And it's like that loneliness drives you into the heart of Jesus. That loneliness drives you into the experience of indeed only having him standing beside you and yet giving you strength. So here's how Selwyn Hughes put it. It is in times of deepest loneliness when there is no one there but God that we learn to know him most fully. In periods of loneliness, the master draws us into his presence so that later, when we speak to others, they sense we are speaking to them from holy ground. It's in the valley of loneliness that God's presence becomes more important, more precious, more powerful, more real than anything else. I love the presence of God. The presence of God has carried me and many of you to the darkest times in your lives. And you can scream, why did you even let me get hurt by this person? But God just says, I'm here. I'm standing by your side. And I want to give you strength as you bore deep into my heart and learn intimacy with me. Hallelujah. We stand with me.